This is your home for St. Cloud State Hockey, keeping you up to date on the NCHC. Women's WCHA. Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies. The National Hockey League. Kaprizov in for a chance to win it. He scores! Thrill the thrill is for real! Welcome to the NHL, a game winner. And everything from the state of hockey. Cloud Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title. Welcome to the Huskies Warming House Podcast Den. The Huskies Warming House podcast is also brought to you by the Soda Pod, home of MNCAA college hockey news and more. Stay wild and up to date with new episodes throughout every week. Find them on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and other podcast platforms. And welcome into the Huskies Warming House podcast, episode 178 here in the den. Nick Max and Noah Grant here for another installment of Huskies Hockey. And Nick, I... We are getting to about that time. We are about two weeks away from St. Cloud hockey getting back in action. And fittingly enough, the women's hockey team for the team in the Granite City is announcing some new news. And hockey is essentially ramping up around the city uh, for some collegiate action. So we're going to talk a lot about that uh, to start the show. And then we're also... You know, why not? We're going to continue on the NCHC train here. Only two more non-St. Cloud teams to go. This one coming in at number three on our list. And uh, uh, a team that, again, like the previous group in Western Michigan, continues to kind of go under the radar a little bit in the NCHC. And they quietly slotted in into a home spot somewhat comfortably. Um but, uh, yeah, an interesting finish to their season and left a lot to be desired, I think, is probably the easiest way to put that. So, uh, Nick, uh, leaves are changing here, by the way. Uh, how, are, how, are things, how are things going post-Minnesota State Fair? We talked about that last week. Has the depression fully set in? How are we doing? Yeah, actually it has. So the, the State Fair in Labor Day was one of the hottest that I've remembered. I mean, mm-hmm. it was over 100 degrees, and, you know, that's – not something you expect, especially around Minnesota, but in true uh, Minnesota fashion, if you don't like the weather, wait five minutes. Um, and no question, literally um, on Wednesday, uh, we went from about 95 degrees and damn near 100 degrees on a Monday to a uh, sweltering 67 on Wednesday. So it really yeah. changed quite quick. Um, so I think now that, shall we say, those temps are sadly behind us as a double-edged sword, right? Um, the, shall we say, the the acceptance part of the grieving process has begun here in Minnesota <laughs> that summer is officially over and uh, we're getting ready and prepped for what's ahead, which um, there's some good and bad news to that, right? No, especially on the weather front side of things, but uh, yeah. definitely everybody's in fall mode. Yeah, five stages of grief here going on in the Huskies Warming House podcast. <laughs> um, you know, it is true, though. I mean, I, I walked out of the hospital. I walked into the hospital on Tuesday night because, you know, that's how work works. And uh, um, it was warm. I mean, it was like, 
you know, high 80s, low 90s throughout the day. And I came out in the morning and it was freezing and it was like, well, there goes all that humidity and whatever was going on. I mean, we're definitely in that moment. By the way, uh, before we get started, in case you haven't noticed, I'm sure people have picked up on this by now. Maybe you haven't. Maybe this maybe we're revealing our secrets here. If you haven't noticed, we do. Um, have some uh, different attire on at times here for the Huskies Warming House podcast. And we've had uh, different uh, looks throughout the weeks. Yes, some of our segments recently have been pre-recorded because I have been jam-packed and extremely busy at the hospital. So uh, something to just kind of keep an eye on. Yes, it is true. We do have some pre-recorded stuff, but some really great content to talk to. And we can't wait to do it here on the Huskies Warming House podcast. So without further ado, we start with Center Ice View News and Notes presented by HuskiesIllustrated.com and the Soda Pod. Center Ice View News and Notes. Center Ice View provides you with the best coverage of St. Cloud State Huskies hockey from game notes, recaps, photos, and more. Go to centericeview.com. Warming House Podcast, episode 178, main portion of the show. Nick Max and Noah Grant. And uh, Nick, uh, it's uh, it's been a week for women's hockey here. Again, like I said, we are getting ramped up. St. Cloud State Hockey in full swing here, just a couple of weeks away. Uh, Nick, uh, we just kind of broke the fourth wall and talked about the fact that some people have probably noticed already, which is, yeah, some of our stuff is pre-recorded. But what we can tell you, um, speaking of looking ahead, by the way, and schedules and other things here, uh, is that in a couple weeks, actually, the next time that we release a show on the men's side of things, we're going to actually have uh, the show release move to Tuesdays. We'll mention that uh, coming up as well, too, so people know that. But uh, on the 26th of this month of September, um, when we do the next men's show, which is Denver, regardless, the question is, do we have them at number two or do we have them at number one? Um we will actually have our show move to Tuesdays. The reason being is that is the first week that Huskies hockey is back. So it gives us an extra day to kind of work with as far as getting recaps done uh, each week and kind of get ready for the season. So uh, just pay attention to that as we move into late September and October. Uh, women's hockey playing uh, the weekend of the 23rd through the 25th, uh, two weeks from uh, um Today, almost, I guess I should say, a little bit less than that. So uh, without further ado, St. Cloud State Women's Hockey, we will touch on this more when we do their preview, but some notable enough news to talk about here. Uh, They have released their captains, the women's team have, for this upcoming season, and uh, there's a lot. Let's just put it that way, and I think that kind of gives you an idea of the leadership core that they have. Taylor Lynn, uh, her second season wearing uh, the captains, C, uh, Clara Hemlerova, Evan Gentry, Dale Ross, Addie Scribner, and Grace Wolf. Yes, uh, try saying that that (laughs) 10 times fast. Uh, You know, so there you go. You've got five people that are wearing the assistant captainship there. Um, It kind of gives uh, you an idea of where we're at here. Uh, Taylor Lynn, the fourth uh, two-year captain in program history. Uh, Kenzie Wiley was the last, by the way. So, um, yeah, I mean, I I, I don't mind uh, this leadership group. Clara Himmlerova, obviously, uh, no surprise for her. Her fifth season as a Husky Emma Gentry, uh, getting ready for uh, her next upperclassman campaign. Uh, Addie Scribner as well. Uh, and then Grace Wolf and Dale Ross, the youngest of this group, both in year number three for them, respectively. So, uh, Nick, Brian Idolsky, not afraid to uh, not afraid to lead with intention, but diversify by committee, if that makes sense, when he's uh, – um, you know, deferring to uh, the players here. Uh, anything you make of this move or are you just ready for some women's hockey again? Well, 
let's start backwards, right? Yes, I'm ready for some women's hockey, especially with this club. I think there's a lot of growth still yet to see. And I think with some of the uh, changes that we have seen in the roster, <clears throat> I think that this team is primed to make um, a pretty nice, sizable jump in the win-loss column and more so on the offensive side of the puck. But more on that later, right? Um, six captains, right? It's the most that they've ever carried in program history, um, surpassing four that actually did the last couple of seasons. And you know what? We, we talked about this throughout the year last year, and that was really when Idolski came in, you know, he essentially held up a mirror and said, hey, the reason why we're here is, well, the locker room, right? You right. know, if, if we're going to, you know, become a competitive program, yeah, there's there's changes that we're going to make as a coaching staff, but we also expect changes out of the players, right? And I think having six captains, right, you really are handing some of the keys over to the players, right? You're saying, okay, you guys know what I, you know, you guys know what I expect when you're, you know, with this program. And now it's really time to take charge and make this your own, right? I'm more of a guide. I'm more of a, you know, I can give you the the, uh, the tools to be successful. But the reality is this is your team. And the voice is just much more powerful, right, Noah, when it's, it's coming from a teammate, right? It's not that you don't respect your coaches, what they have to offer and say, but it just hits differently when it's coming from, your teammates, your captains. You know, you really want the team to do it. I mean, we talk about this at Brett Larson on the men's side all the time, right? Uh, in key games, uh, we talk about that game against Colorado College again a couple of years ago. Um, up in the COVID year, right? He said there really wasn't much I had to say uh, when they went down one nothing to the Tigers because really the players took charge of it. They kept each other calm. They knew what had to be done. That's what Adolski is really sending a message here is that it's now time for the girls to take over this team and to lead from within um, and more of Adolski take more of a backseat approach. So that's what I gather from it. Uh, I'm curious to your thoughts on this and if you see it the same way I do. Yeah, certainly would agree. I think that, you, you know, it, it kind of goes, it's almost like when you go to the mentality of you don't have to wear a letter to have a voice in this locker room. And Brian Adolski said, well, we'll just give you all a letter. <laughs> you know, right. yeah. I mean, that's just kind of what it comes down to is trusting that leadership group. And I think that it also cements, you know, moving forward here, you know, Clara Hamlarova, maybe Emma Gentry, depending on if she decides to maybe turn pro after this season, whatever it is, uh, it gives you kind of an idea of the leadership group that's going to be ready going forward, you know, a group that can yep. be relied upon going forward. So I think it's really exciting here. Speaking of Brian Idolski, by the way, um, and Brett Larson, for that matter, matter, actually three new coaches, by the way, all things considered across the St. Cloud teams, one of them essentially double dipping, uh, one on the women's side one on the men's side here so maybe just a brief touch here we're not going to give too much away just because of the fact that we will touch on these again uh during our previews for each teams but uh, on the women's side, uh, earlier uh, last month, I should say, Billy Hengen uh, was named as the assistant coach for the women's hockey team, uh, really kind of made his name at Gentry Academy uh, in recent years uh, in terms of his uh, ability to kind of, uh, you know, development process, uh, getting players ready for the next level here. Um, for your playing career for him, Craig Dahl and Bob Motzko were the head coaches on the men's side here, so definitely knows the game at the collegiate level. So excited for him to come in on the women's side. Uh, on the men's side, um, I, I still love this one every time because uh, Clark Custer has now been officially promoted to an assistant coach here for St. Cloud State. This was announced uh, just recently as well. Uh, I still love the fact that we anticipated that he would be a potential entry for his initial role as video coordinator uh, and director of operations last season. And we were like on the, I'd like, I just, I don't know. It's one of our favorite 
my favorite picks that we've done on this show. So he's going to be a, a full-time assistant coach for this group, meaning there is a void at that previous position, director of operations and video coordinator. Uh, and it's Lenny Hoffman that has been announced by the way, he will oversee this operation for both squads here, both men's and women's here. So 14 seasons, um, across the game of hockey at the collegiate and junior level um, past three years with Alaska Fairbanks as an assistant. So uh, I, I guess if you're going to bring in Carl Falk, you might as well just, you know, snag a coach as well to it and bring him into the mix. So I, I tell you what, Alaska Fairbanks, um, you kind of hurt for them a little bit, I feel like as a program, but it also kind of shows their success. They had last season, a lot of big name players and coaches from that program last season that have went to even bigger names uh, across the country here. And I think that speaks volumes about the success that the Nanooks had last season. But uh, this one, we can expand just, just slightly on here. Lenny Hoffman, um, what an interesting and unique challenge for him to be able to do this across, you know, both hockey teams. I think Nick, you and I can attest very well with, working in junior hockey, having full-time jobs and covering both St. Cloud State men's and women's. Um, he might have his work cut out for him, but we'll have to see how he manages that. Yeah, it's... It, first of all, to do it for one team is a lot of work, right? Then to double dip for two. But you, you kind of wonder, too, you know, because, you know, Idolsky and, and Larson, again, have a history playing on the same team. Again, was it the Madison Monsters back in the old uh, uh, the old uh, pro days there? All, um, all, all I know is Brett still had hair. So, right. Um, Hairlines are different, but uh, hockey minds <laughs> the same. But, uh, you know, you kind of also wonder, too, that that creates maybe a linkage a bit where, you know, you're going to have maybe some ideas go back and forth between both coaches. Right. But uh, for this new um uh, guy specifically Lenny Hoffman. Uh, that's a lot. That's a lot yeah. of film. And, and, and granted, you know, I kind of wonder how uh, you know they're going to split time, right? Because it's not like you know if they're both in the road, he can be uh, yeah. one or the other, right? So yeah, the travel. That's exactly it. I think it's one thing if they play in the same building or they play in the same general region, but I, yeah, I think with travel and even just the double headers. I mean, you and I have worked plenty of those double headers and it's oh, you know yes. by friday friday you're excited for hockey and by sunday you're like don't even show me a hockey rink i mean Pretty that's just kinda... <laughs> well because saturday night depending on you know the league that you know we're in yeah. right? you're on the bus saturday night all the way through the night and uh you can't wait to get home and you're sleeping at uh, 6 30 in the morning yeah. or bad or depending on the women's schedule they might still play on sunday too so i mean it might kind of right. be spread out accordingly so um, yeah, but no, but I think this is exciting. Uh, you know, obviously all teams getting ready for uh, um, our last little topic here, the puck drop breakfast. This will be Sunday, September 17th, actually uh, this upcoming a uh, little bit here. And then of course, St. Cloud state women's hockey gets ready soon thereafter that week. Actually, um, Brett Larson will be there. Brian Idolsky, some student athletes will be there. Robin Wacker, director of athletics, Holly Schreiner. And then of course, uh, hosted like it usually is by some guy, I don't know, some radio guy, Jim Erickson, you heard of him. I don't know. I, I don't know. He's all right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> always love catching up with him. Got, got to last see him actually at the, the Gopher St. Cloud game and the NCAAs. And it was really fun catching up with him and hearing what he was up to. So, um, yeah, it, the puck drop breakfast, um, uh, easy for me to say, uh, was my first foray into St. Cloud hockey way back in the fall of 2019 when everything was a little different in the world. Um, and times are much simpler, I suppose, but Nick, that's kind of like your first official, uh, not book end, but book start, so to speak, for the upcoming season for both of these squads. It really is the indicator of, okay, like 
this is it. We are in full swing. Obviously, the players and coaches have probably been in it for months already. But uh, that's kind of really nowadays, does it? Yeah, exactly. But that's kind of the public's first glimpse at, you know, this is the new group. This is the expectation. Here we are. We're ready to rock and roll. Uh, Always an exciting event, Nick, I think is probably the easiest way to put that. Yeah, and it, it gets a chance for the fan base to, you know, kind of get intimate too with the coaching staff, right? And some of the players, right? I think it's, you know, we, we talk about, you know, from our chairs, right? When you've worked in the broadcast side of things or maybe in the, you know, shall we say the front office side of things and, you know, and maybe we're just immune to it, no, because we're just so immersed in, you know, that uh, that atmosphere. But, you know, for the fans and the casual fans, you know, there's, besides going to a game, like when can you really feel... Like you can interact with, you know, the team directly, right? So I think these little community outreach events, which is really what this is, right? Um, there's a great ways to reconnect with the fan base, to get some excitement going, and uh, kind of get a feel with, you know, what you got coming up, right? And I think uh, the one thing about the Huskies too is, uh, hey, how about this last ten years? Eight NCAA per, uh, appearances, five straight, which is tied for the longest. Uh, current active street and all of division one college hockey. So, I mean, you talk about a team that, you know, an hour and a half North of Minneapolis that has half, if not even less than half of the resources of some of the other schools that are out there. And they've been on a pretty hell of a run the last, you know, 10 to 15 years under some great leadership with Motsko. And again, now Brett Larson, Um, you know, these are great little things to, again, to get the fan base uh, involved, to get them excited and to get them ready for the upcoming season, which, as we will talk about in a week or two here, Noah, um, a, a plenty yeah. of optimism for Huskies fans here coming up. Yeah, absolutely. And then a, a program best 18 wins on the women's side under first year coach Brian Idolsky. Curious to see um, if he has a sophomore slump or continues that success and uh, can be the first to get this program to 20. That would be yeah, really I, exciting. I think it's possible. I really do. Oh, yeah. Um, and I think both you and I are on that same uh, train with Idolski again. Uh, you know, the defensive structures there. Now, can you add a little bit more offensive punch to the other side um, on the uh, sheet of ice? So, and I think with uh, at least on paper, they've definitely added some offense to their roster. Now, does it all culminate and produce results? We have yet to see, but uh, there's certainly, you know, you can't fault them for effort because there definitely is some higher profile players that are being attracted to this program. And uh, Adelski, again, being a big part of that reason, I do think we could easily eclipse that 20 win mark this year in year number two. Yeah, and a, a lot of veteran experience too. And as Oprah Winfrey would say about the captains, you get a letter, you get a letter. Um, yeah. <laughs> with that, that being said, though, uh, speaking of numbers coming in at number three, the same they did last season, uh, one point ahead of our St. Cloud State Huskies on the men's side, uh, our next team coming in at number three, obviously very successful season for them, all things considered in the NCHC. Yeah, it really was. And uh, and I think you hit in the open very well. This team, just because they don't have the name power, they don't have you know, maybe that star power that other teams, even including St. Cloud, right, that have that can maybe, you know, put them maybe on the national map early on. But, you know, calmly and quietly, uh, this team continues to produce year after year. They continue to get better in all facets of the ice. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think a big reason why we have more we are is um, it's not that uh, we'll put it this way. We expect them to get better, but more so we don't expect them to slide. Um, exactly where they finished a year ago, the Nebraska Omaha, the UNO Mavericks, uh, Nick. And this is a program again, that has earned a reputation for being a blue collar workhorse type team, a team that uh, I guess I would say is, 
I filled with a lot of uh, players that maybe might not be the most high end players, but a lot of players that are maybe right below that tier that develop into those players as they go through similar to when we talked about Western Michigan a couple of weeks ago, Nick, uh, what do we have here uh, as you're taking over here for Nebraska Omaha? Uh, we have a team that, you know, we talk about wild cards, right, Noah? Uh, this one uh, is up there again as far as being a wild card. Um, we're going to talk uh, a little bit more in depth about the last season, right? So, uh, Noah, for them last year, 19-15-3 overall. That was good for third in the NCHC for 42 points, uh, specifically 13-9-2 in conference play. Uh, they lost to North Dakota in the NCHC quarterfinals. Now, mind you, this was, this was after they won game one. They had a home yeah. ice, and then North Dakota stormed back. So, when you talk about a team and a for lack of a better phrase, this was a disappointing finish considering that North Dakota also was, uh, shall we say, not the most consistent team last year. And they really felt like they had an opportunity uh, to get back to St. Paul and uh, came up short, especially after winning game one. Yeah, certainly did. Just a weird, maybe that's the place to start is almost their schedule a little bit from last season. Again, they dropped both non-conference games by a four to three score against Niagara early on in the season. They tied Lake Superior, which if you know how Lake Superior's season went last year, that's a tough one. Um, They lost in overtime to Alaska, which at the time we were kind of wary of, but then As we went through the season, there's one that looked a little bit better Uh, on the other side. They ended up splitting with them uh, a loss and a shootout victory against North Dakota, who ended up giving them fits to the regular season and uh, seemed to be a concerning trend that carried through into the playoffs. Uh, And then losses against Duluth and Denver. Um, Denver, not surprising. Duluth was an overtime finish. So, I mean, whatever. Uh, Swept against CC, by the way, outscored seven to four on the weekend and then an overtime loss against St. Lawrence. And let's not forget St. Lawrence also lost to CC or sorry, swept CC. Um, So the NCHE not having a great showing in that in that particular portion in December. They got back on track. They just a single loss to Western Michigan, kind of a blip Uh, shootout loss to CC in February. Single loss against St. Cloud actually handled the Huskies uh, pretty good. A, a pair of six to two scores each way. The only time they saw St. Cloud last season. And then we started to see the cracks kind of form for this team in the middle of the pack here. Uh, a pair of losses against North Dakota to finish out the regular season. They win two to one that Friday night, like you mentioned, lose three to one the next night. And we thought we're in for a really great finish. Not to be five to two loss to end their season against North Dakota, who came out of nowhere in sixth place and uh, found a way to use that veteran experience and some of that high end talent to at least give themselves a chance against St. Cloud the following weekend and probably, like we said, their best game of the season. Uh, Nick, I mean, what do we pull from this schedule here? Because, I mean, I, I think when I look at this, this is a team that when I when I see this, I think if I closed my eyes, didn't know who it was and didn't see necessarily opponents, maybe, for example, I would say this team finished fifth in the conference, just seeing what I see with that kind of fluctuation. And maybe that's just what the NCHC was besides Denver's success last season, where we had these ebbs and flows. I mean, what do we take away from Omaha's kind of up and down road that again, similar to the year they made the NCAAs previously, we had high hopes setting into the postseason, and they really haven't been able to show up when the spotlight's been the brightest. You know, it's interesting if, if we're going to use maybe some math or maybe some shapes. I mean, they were a parabola, right? They had a slow start. Um, yes, you know, for those 
It's like, oh yeah, I remember that word. Um, but I say, they, I say, I was with you with math, even though I suck at it. And then you said shapes, and I got really scared. So I. <laughs> oh geez, those are those are. Uh, what does Neil de, uh, deGrasse Tyson say? Those are oblique spheroids <laughs> that are out there in the world. And when you look out your window at night, anyway. I'm so gonna, let's just put it this way: when I was a kid, the whole you know uh, square peg and a round hole thing was definitely a factor in my particular establishment. So I mean, challenge, yes. <laughs> um, so, well, that's why you went to hockey. Uh, as what <laughs> as you have what a cylindrical uh, thing going into a square. Hey, yeah. all hey, all I know is I, you know, I live in America's wasteland, and as much as I complain about some of the IQ levels out here, sorry, North Dakota Fighting Hawks fans, I suppose at times it's applicable that I that I'm where I'm supposed to be. I'm not sure. Who knows? Uh, but you know, they they start slow. They get better as the season goes along, and then again, as we get towards the end, when they're facing some of these teams that maybe are playing more desperate, right? Because I think for North Dakota, for sure, um, they had higher hopes of a better turnout last year. Um, they really had to fight for their playoff lives. Again, they were not in a pairwise position, so they needed to go on a run to give themselves a chance at an NCAA tournament bid. And uh, I, unfortunately for uh, Omaha, even when you go back to the last two of the regular season, they had troubles against North Dakota. And this was a team that, you know, Omaha has had success with them in the past couple of years. In fact, they're one of the more consistent teams that have given North Dakota fits over the, you know, the last few seasons. And for whatever reason, they just weren't able to really close the book on them. And again, call it desperation, call it what it is. I do think North Dakota woke up after game one and said, wait, we're, we're, we're against the wall here. And if we don't come away with some of our best hockey, uh, we're not even going to make it to St. Paul, which uh, I'm sure NCHC execs also had um, some arterial, you know, fibrillation with that notion. But, um, but on all seriousness, no, that that's kind of what we saw is we, we saw a bit of a disappointing finish for Omaha. I remember watching uh, the scores come through on the quarterfinals after game one and saw Nebraska Omaha winning game one. I thought, OK, this is maybe the year they can finally sort of, you know, put the nail on the coffin. And then as we get through the weekend and into Sunday, it's North Dakota that does uh, claw their way back and on to St. Paul. So um it does have these rings of where, you know, Omaha has not been, shall we say, a team that has been playoff tested and it maybe showed a little bit there, right? Um, am I on to something, Noah? Am I crazy? But I just kind of feel like with with Gabinet squad that certainly there's talent. It's not the most high-end talent. I don't think anybody would argue that, but they play a very team friend, you know, team style of play. They play boot collar. But when it gets to these sort of high intense sort of games or maybe you know these times where you need your best to step up they just don't seem to be able to rise to the occasion and it's disappointing because again we as we've talked about western michigan they've had some pretty good talent come through that program but maybe the issue is and i hate to say it and maybe i'm being too blunt with this maybe it just isn't enough and you know with north dakota maybe some of the pedigree that they have even though it's an off year you know they show that they can turn it on when they needed to yeah are you on to something are you crazy Yes. Um, I, I think that oh, yes, both. Okay. Good. Yeah, exactly. I'm trying to figure out what arterial fibrillation is, though. That just sounds like not a good time. I'll go with atrial fib for 500, though, please. Um, <laughs> however, I, however, I knew you were going to ditch me on that. Oh, God. Yeah. You know, however, putting putting fans into cardiac arrest here, uh, if you're not a North Dakota fan, although they do it naturally. Um, <laughs> Again, eight and eight in one goal contest here and some really interesting underlying numbers here. If we want to talk about maths and shapes and triangles and what have you, um, 
16-3 and 2 when they scored first, 3-12 and 1 when they gave up the first goal. I mean a huge oh, that's pear-shaped. I get it. So <laughs> No, that that's me after I have a little bit too much Taco Bell in a given week. But I mean that uh, again, <laughs> oh god. <laughs> again, again wow. with with Omaha there, there's just a huge discrepancy one way or the other. Power play 21%, PK exactly 79%. Again, a good kind of like balance of in and out for them that just didn't allow them to get past that point when they were trailing two, six and one after the first three, 10 and one after the second. But again, I think the thing that really stands out most to me, their goal differential ended up being whatever it was plus 13 plus 14, something like that. 2.95 goals per game compared to 2.62 given up. And it gets even closer when you're talking about conference numbers. This was not a team that was out of hockey games but this was also not a team that pulled away in hockey games. They were yep. very much on the razor's edge of games. They found a way to string some really good victories together. A couple of games where they did ended up having some big spreads, a couple of games where they lost by some big spreads, but everything else was kind of narrowed down in that margin. And I think for Omaha, that kind of caught up with them in the sense that, um, and ironically enough for a team that was playing as many close games as they were, you maybe expected them to handle that challenge a bit more, but I think they just missed a little bit of that offense when it was needed most. And it's hard when you're a team like we talked about with Omaha that brings in a lot of these, you know, B, B plus, maybe A minus guys in terms of the skill set. You're not getting necessarily a blue chipper prospect. That's just been Omaha's struggle with their recruiting and their focus is on the development process. You'd sometimes don't get that, that, primo goal scorer or that primo centerman or that good forward line or good first pass puck moving defenseman that is able to kind of be a game breaker that is able to kind of just turn a game on its head quickly and that's where i think omaha was just missing that extra jump is they had some guys that were productive that had good seasons but at the same time it's like um you know their highest score jack randall who was a senior last season had 34 points no one else eclipsed above 30 points um and the players that did were both graduate players before you get to the next returner in ty muller who's going to be a junior this season so again like i said that's always been uno's game blue collar hard working they're going to give you that physicality it's going to be a team effort they're going to win and score by committee but sometimes, as we've talked about with playoff hockey, you need that goaltender, that defenseman, that primo goal scorer to just kind of pop off for a game or two and push you back across that margin that you need to be. In recent years, UNO just hasn't had that guy when it's mattered. And I think that's just been the most disappointing because they're there. They're like right on the cusp. They're where they're almost where Western Michigan was before, like the Ethan Franks and stuff really started to kind of come into their own sort of thing. They're yep. getting there. They had a great finish in the NCHC. I anticipate them to be one of the home teams in the playoffs again, but they've got to find a way to take advantage of it a lot better moving forward, but a great season for them, in the regular season. I don't want to diminish that, but again, as we've talked about with teams, Western Michigan, same story with them just leaves a bit of a sour taste in your mouth when you can't perform during clutch time. Certainly does. And I think, you know, when we talk about, you know, the, the coaching staff here again, Mike Gabinet uh, in his sixth year, uh, Dave Noel Bernier, Peter Aubrey, uh, Bennett Hambrook, uh, they've got 
pedigree on their coaching staff, right? Uh, Dave Noel Bernier, uh, former Red Wings video coach, again with Peter Aubrey, has spent the last eight seasons. He's new to the old Mavericks this year, but spent the last eight as a goaltending coach for the Chicago Blackhawks. So they've got good influences. They've got good hockey minds around them. And it's almost needed, right, Noah, because when you're lacking that natural skill, right, that natural high-end skill, you, you know, you have to have good coaching, right? You have to have good systems. And for Omaha, you know, you kind of wonder where this season is. And, and let me ask you this, Noah, maybe I think this is an appropriate question. Is this sort of a hot seat season for Mike Gabinet? And granted, I say that with respect because I – I love Mike Gavin. I've had many conversations with him. He's a wonderful human being. He's a great coach. Um, but I do kind of get the sense going into his sixth season that with that sour taste that maybe, you know, there's going to be some expectations of a better result or, you know, you hate to say, it, but hockey is a results driven business. Maybe some changes are on the, on the way. I don't know. Do you get the sense that he's, you know, on the hot seat or am I uh, maybe a little bit too far off? <sighs> Well, I, I don't disagree. I think it's it's more of the conver- – you know what? It's honestly similar to the conversation we've had or we did have with the Minnesota Wild in their first-round exits where it's like we pushed so hard to get them back into the playoffs, and then it was like, okay, well, now what? Like, like are we just going to kind of cycle the same thing? Like you said, 19-15-3 for these Mavs, 13-9-2 conference play. It's like a 560 winning percentage across both of those. Like not that much over 500. And I think that that kind of keys me in is like their style of play. It's effective. It's efficient enough in the NCHC to keep them in most hockey games, to give them a chance. But like, what's the next step? What's the next tier for, for Omaha? And I almost feel like maybe it's because it's the third year that we've been doing these and we try to stay positive. We're excited about the freshman classes. We try to build some of these teams up, but Maybe we're becoming old and bitter and jaded, but now we're starting to see, you know, the trends here and the pieces about this where it's like for Omaha, it's like, okay, now what? Now what? You, you've been kind of the Minnesota Wild a little bit, the way the Wild are in the NHL, where they kind of become an afterthought because they're right in the middle of the pack. They're in the mix. They're giving you enough good games to stay relevant, but they're just not quite there. Is it a hot seat type of season for him? I don't think so, but someone I think has definitely turned the kettle on and the water is at least simmering. I think that's kind of how I would characterize this. I, I would say within the next two, maybe three years at most, I mean, you got to make it to a frozen face-off at minimum, I would say. And I would say you would like to have a frozen face-off victory. You'd like to make a championship game. I think that would kind of put you in the realm of, okay, you need to be there. You probably would really benefit from making an NCAA tournament at that point too, as well. So um, I don't know. I don't know that it's particularly warm. I think again with Omaha, they know what they have in Mike Gavinette. They know that he is a great fit for that program. Uh, like you said, with Dave in the assistant coach's position as well too. Um, I think they're a great tandem that has worked really well together. I think the new coaching additions in recent years also going to benefit as well too but i think there's just there needs to be just a little bit of kind of a revitalization a kind of refresh on the fly for them a little bit to just find that extra gear they're they're like a six speed stuck in fifth gear kind of thing they're just waiting for that final piece to be unlocked so i i definitely agree that there's going to be some watchful eyes eyes on omaha i don't think this season is the year necessarily to to get all high and mighty about it. But 
you know, if I mean, if they struggle and they finish sixth or seventh in the conference all of a sudden with the mix that they have coming in, you know, conversation starts to change really quickly. It does. Uh, and under Mike Gabinet again, uh, going into his seventh season, um, he actually has never made it to the NCHC Frozen Faceoff. Only mm-hmm. one NCAA postseason appearance. That was a 7-2 to two loss against Minnesota. That was back in 2021. Remember, that was yeah. uh, the year that they kind of broke out a little bit. Uh, but again, they had some more goal-scoring talent on that roster. And even then, going up against um, a very resurgent Minnesota Gopher squad in that year, that was a tough draw. Uh, but again, yeah, really haven't been able to enjoy a lot of sustained success, especially in the postseason, right? And I do think uh, you're correct that I do think in the next couple of years, they do have to make it back, and, or I should say make it to St. Paul uh, to try to, you know, do what CCE did, right? And that is to try yeah. to reestablish himself and, uh, you know, see if they can't get a break that way. Um, well, how are they going to do that here, Noah? As we talk, maybe some personnel. I think it's important we discuss some of the departures, right? Because you mentioned yeah. some high-end talent. They are losing some of that top-end talent. And this, again, you know, when, when we talk about seasons like Omaha had, and or maybe, you know, there's a sour taste in the fans' mouth, certainly that can be replicated in some of the players' minds, too, where maybe they felt like, okay, you know, I had a good season, you know, maybe there isn't just enough around me. Uh, no, let's talk about some of the departures for Nebraska Omaha, and one name in particular is going to be tough to swallow. Yeah, certainly is. And obviously, uh, you know, on top of that, losing their goaltending strength in recent years, they've had obviously uh, some national team participants that uh, one of which, of course, is staying, but you've got two goaltenders departing, two defensemen, and three forwards here. Uh, Cam Berg, of course, the sophomore headed to North Dakota, the New York Islanders pick. That's a tough one. I mean, great future for him. I, there's no doubt about that one. Caden Bolson headed to Mankato, the junior forward, and on uh, Jake Pavanka as well, too, at the uh, graduated forward. He won't be back. Of course, um, Jacob Zab on the, on the goaltending side of things, a graduate as well as Johnny Tychonic as well, graduating and Jake Kacharski in the net mining position as well too. Davis Pennington headed to Quinnipiac, by the way, on the back end. So some young players with a lot of upside, we talked about the development process for UNO and again, them St. Cloud, Western Michigan, I think three programs that I really think of, maybe even throw CC if they have a couple more years of success now into that mix as teams that are very intentional about getting these guys two, three, four years, trying to really extend that process out and develop them. It's tough to see guys like Camberg, Davis Pennington on their way out, guys that you know have a lot of upside and they're going to move into their junior seasons um, and not be with the Mavs anymore. And unfortunately for Omaha, and to their credit, at the same time, they've lost a lot and been really deft at picking up players into the transfer portal as well, too, and bringing in incoming freshmen. They really like to kind of supplement if they can. That's part of their MO as well, too. But, uh, yeah, it, like you said, uh, Camberg, Davis Pennington, two juniors that you're going to miss. Caden Bolson will be a senior this season for uh, the Mavericks, technically, just in Mankato, and then a bunch of graduate players, including a couple of goaltenders that they're going to miss. So, um, I, 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 again, I, I think that man, or sorry, Omaha has done a really good job in the past of supplementing with freshmen and transfer portal. The question is, can they get that mix to work again? Because the more transfer and turnover that you have, just ask North Dakota fans. The more certain podcasts start to be wary of how you're going to perform. So how do you replace that right now? 
we talked about high-end talent. We talked about how Nebraska Omaha, you know, doesn't maybe necessarily have a plethora of that. But in terms of some of the guys they're bringing in, including the freshman class, which mind you, three freshmen total um, on this roster. So they've really had to supplement some of that talent loss with the transfer portal. But I'll tell you what, you know, some of those freshmen that they have coming in are pretty darn good looking players, right? And I think, you know, you talk about trying to build and sustain, right? Again, the loss of Cam Berg, I think is huge for this squad. So you really had to hit some home runs in the transfer portal as well as in the recruiting side. Uh, they've got a couple of really good ones. And what we'll do is I'm going to set you up for this one. Tanner Lidke, who was a third round pick of the Arizona Coyotes uh, as a forward coming in, man, you know, you talk about some of that replacement skill, uh, as a true freshman, you don't want to ever say you're putting a team on his back, but uh, with these three freshmen coming in, they're going to have to sort of pick it up quick. Yeah, certainly will. And, and I think, uh, again, as we've talked about here, I, Omaha is very selective when they bring their freshmen in. I mean, they are they are a team that doesn't like to over dip. Um, and they're comfortable going in the transfer portal too. But like you mentioned, the Elko, Minnesota native 2004, uh, again, great season for Lincoln last season. Like you mentioned, 66 points, 57 contests for him, 32 goals, 34 assists, primo cream of the crop in terms of uh, what Tanner is going to bring to the table. Um, U19 team USA uh, participant as well had six contests for him too. So, um, I mean, how can you not feel good even as you look, uh, a 0.83 point per game clip over the course of his time in the USHL, let's not forget the year before, he only had one point in 24 contests. So it gives you an idea. He was well over a point per game player, obviously, if you're good at math and shapes and other things like that. Uh, last season for Lincoln, uh, Nick and Shocker, he's a Minnesota native. I mean, are we really that surprised about that that whole piece um and i think the thing that uh, is also interesting is you're bringing in players that um are uh, young on the forward side of course ushl players that um again like i said from cedar rapids as well i'm trying to pull up charlie's stats here and it it totally crashed on me as well too nick so maybe we'll flip onto the goaltenders and then go backwards here um so will yeah. craig by the way uh in net again we talked about having to supplement that goaltending position six foot two 229 nick mm -hmm. uh big body the 2002 ontario native um of course um played for the peterborough Peets u15 u16 so a little bit of uh touch playing with players who are potentially like chl whl ohl bound players as well too uh played in the null last season for new mexico had a 906 and a 268 goals against average a couple of good numbers before in the cchl 46 contests a 928 ended up going 30 12 and 0 and a 928 in the playoffs as well too so basically a 239 to a 250 as far as his goals against nick i uh, and that's been kind of one of uh omaha's strengths by the way nick does it not feel like is that their goaltending supplementation has been somewhat better than average uh, to say the it least in, re in recent years. Well, we remember guys like Isaiah Seville, right. Who uh, goes on yeah. and plays for uh, the Vegas organization now with, I believe Henderson and that system. Um, and again, you, you talk about a team that, you know, when you lack some of that tie in forward talent, you really have to be sound defensively. And they really did 
similar to Miami, right, where they really had to rely on goaltending and defense to kind of keep them in hockey games. And uh, it has been goaltending. Let's just put it the way it is. That has really been sort of their biggest strength in recent years. And, you know, this is sort of a question mark this year, right, as, as to who, uh, at least on paper, you know, can they sustain that, right? Um now, the other curiosity I have, Noah, is that, you know, when you look up and down this roster, they've got some NHL talent here. Um, granted, some of it is, you know, a transfer in. We talked about the freshman too, the Arizona pick as well. But, you know, I, I think ideally, if you're Mike Gavin, you're trying to take some of that pressure off of your back end. Uh, now, granted, you know, we've talked about the style of Mike Gavin being that blue collar. I mean, they, they know how to forecheck and uh, you're going to feel it, you know, the next week. You know, they, they certainly like to uh, use the body in a similar sense that Western Michigan has in years past. Uh, but, you know, can they mold that style together with some scoring punch, right? Because sometimes, you know, when you're trying to play a certain style and you bring in guys that that's not necessarily the game plan. It doesn't mesh very well. So it's a, is it a tough ass nor, or, you know, as a former player yourself, you know, how does Mike Gabinet, you know, sort of mold a, a combination or that hybrid of skill as well as some brawn? Yeah, certainly would agree. I mean, you talked about like Tanner Lidke, by the well, right? Uh, by the way, and of course, he's going to be the primo scorer in this freshman class. The other one, um, Charlie Lurie, by the way, uh, like you said, coming from Cedar Rapids, has played for Omaha, Youngstown, and then Fargo. A couple of those teams, some really tough seasons. So taking his numbers with a grain of salt, by the way, uh, 68 points in 122 contests, at dash 33 over that time. So it gives you an idea of some of the teams that have kind of struggled, um, and he's still been able to supplement off as more of the middle, more of a middle of the pack kind of guy. I see him. But again, you look at the two freshman players coming in um, as far as the forward side here, right? You don't want them probably paired together. You want to put them with some veteran experience. I think if you can get them up to speed, especially uh, Tanner Lidke, making them feel comfortable in the role that they're in, that's step one. If you can get both of those guys feeling like they're top nine guys, that they're productive, they're comfortable in their roles, I think that alleviates a lot of pressure. You're obviously going to have some transfers that we're going to talk about in a second. But when you're trying to supplement that offense, like you said, um, it, it really kind of goes more about towards the mental and confidence piece and really approaching the game the right way. I I feel like, um, and I don't know, I mean, obviously I didn't play Division One college hockey, but I mean, my kind of role when I was a forward is I try to be a 200-foot guy, but really a, trying to score goals. I mean, and that's what keeps you in the lineup is being productive. And a lot of times when you end up scoring goals as a shooter, first you have to get a taste for it. I know that sounds obvious, but you kind of have to earn that nose for the net and kind of smell blood in the water a little bit. And sometimes the way guys figure that out is different. Unless you're a real high end guy, sometimes guys who suddenly get that success at a school like Omaha, for example, they realize that not every puck has to be a toe drag around a defenseman perfectly placed top corner. It just has to be on a side of the net, has to get through a screen, has to just be a quick release, has to surprise a goaltender, has to just be on net. And I think getting these guys comfortable with, you know, we're going to be a hard-nosed physical team. You're going to bring that brawn. You're going to bring that physicality. But then once we get the puck, we're not going to mess around with it. We want to keep possession, but we want to be driving plays towards that pucks on that rebounds, opportunities, tips, screen in front. That's where that brawn and that skill start to meet because what you're really developing is a nose for the net. You're really developing that goal scores touch that ability to be around the crease. And I think if you can get these freshmen up to speed, the transfers come in and obviously 
give your give them a chance as well too. We'll talk. We'll touch on the transfers in just a second here, Nick. I think that that's where they need to start is it's almost more of a mental confidence to say, yeah, I'm going to put this puck on net. Cause I know that this is going to be successful. I know this is the right play versus if you're hesitant, if you think a split second too late, that pucks off your stick and the opportunity goes by the wayside. And that's where, as you mentioned, some of these transfers are going to come in and, and trying to be sort of that, you know, not yeah. just veteran presence, but just trying to be like, okay, you know, we need to fill some hole with experience, right? And yeah. the guys you got coming in, they have it, right? Um, yeah. And Noel Ellis, again, the sophomore coming over from UMass, just one season there with the Minutemen. Uh, he's a Vegas pick. Uh, so shut down kind of a defenseman. Very uh, much so. Yeah. Uh, then they got Jesse Lansell, the graduate coming over from Notre Dame. Same thing with the defenseman Dom. Um, is it Vidoli coming over from Ohio State, and then Zach Erdahl coming over from Wisconsin? So some prolific programs. One that would assimilate, I think, pretty well in terms of the style and the more two local. of them, two yeah. of them easily. Is Jesse Lansell and Zach Erdahl both? And say what you want about Wisconsin, but. Being a sophomore playing in 34 contests for Zach Erdahl and having 11 points on that Wisconsin Badgers team, which was horrible last season, yep. is that's a great achievement. Jesse Lanzel, Notre Dame was middle of the pack in the Big Ten, which middle in the back of the middle of the pack in the Big Ten is not a bad way to spend a day, to be honest with you. Especially last uh, year, right? I mean, yeah, that was well, packs. Yeah, I mean, I mean, besides besides Wisconsin, everybody else was in the mix, and even the Badgers got better as the season went on. Fifteen points yeah. for Jesse Lanza last year. Like you mentioned, both the defensemen a little bit more shut down defensemen, but I mean, Dominic Vidoli, like you mentioned, coming over from Ohio State, that's just pedigree in the Big Ten as well, too. Um, Noah Ellis, like you mentioned, Vegas draft pick, and uh, the Minutemen had a really down year last year, but I mean, um, curious to see how he assimilates, and then Seth Eisel. Um, by the way, uh, he'll be a graduate netminder, a 286 and a 913 on a Lake Superior squad, by the way, that was not good at all. So I would say part of that might be bolstered with shot volume as well, too. But you still the puck still got to hit you at some point. So I yeah. I'm really curious to see. Um, and I always butcher his name. So Mavs fans, I 110 percent apologize in advance. I always want to say Lakotsky, but it's not uh, Simon Lakotsky, the freshman netminder uh, 919 save percentage for him. It's a 232 goals against average. And obviously um, he's a Slovakia native played on the national team as well, too. Um, he's a guy that probably will have a chance at the net. But I also think that bringing in um, Seth from Lake Superior as a backup option I don't think it's going to be too bad. I think that he's a very serviceable 1B. He could see some playing time this season, depending on how Simon plays. So um, the goaltending position, a little bit in flux for Omaha. I still like the mix. Again, that's why we have them at number three, is I like enough of the mix, and we know what Mike Gavinette gets out of a lot of these guys, is you're going to get a good work ethic, 110%, night in and night out. You mentioned it perfectly, Nick. Can we find that scoring touch? Can we turn that physicality, that hard F1 in on the floor check, that cycle play that they're so good at, can they turn that into plays in the middle, offensive opportunities, second chance opportunities, because those are the type of plays, Dave Shayak, grease band goals if you're a Huskies fan, that end up pushing you to a national championship game if you're yes, a St. Cloud fan. I mean, that that's the type of goals that you have to be able to score in playoff time, you got to get a little bit of goaltending help. Everybody's got to show up and play. But man, if you just have a line or a, a duo or you know a, a defensive pairing that you can rely on, that you can say when they're on the ice, 
I don't know that they're going to pot one, but boy, the offensive chances are going to be flowing. Omaha needs that. That's their sixth gear. That's their next opportunity to turn this Z28 into a Porsche 911, right? Like that's their opportunity here. And uh, I'm really excited about this mix. Again, I like it similar to when we talked about Western Michigan, very on brand for what Omaha likes to do in the transfer portal and in the freshman class. Now can Mike Gaminette find that extra piece with the group that he's brought in? And again, like we talked about, they've lost a couple of guys that Davis Pennington, Camberg, that are going to be a, a difficult time to replace. And it might take a few games or a couple of months. And it might will. Um, one thing that they'll have to do, Noah, is uh, I think, you know, we talk about schedule here is their yeah. non-conference has to be a lot better. I, I think yes. really hurt them, especially in the pairwise. Uh, they were in a similar position as North Dakota was when they played them in the quarterfinals, which is their path essentially to the postseason was an NCHC frozen face-off championship. Um, and I know that with St. Cloud and with some other teams that, you know, we talk about, the non-conference uh, record has been essentially almost like a buoy, right, for some of the uh, struggles that some of these teams have had, especially later in the season. So let's talk about that schedule, right? So Omaha will open up with an exhibition game at uh, Minnesota State. And um, uh, remember last year, Noah, when uh, Omaha uh, had a, a non-conference uh, game early? Remember that? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, about that. They were uh, very lucky. They were very lucky that also it was a non-conference game. Let's just right for those yeah. playing the home game. Um, they destroyed Minnesota State. Seven. Yeah, it's tough. Um, was not good. Um, but here's where it went off the rails. Right, last year they lose two games at Baxter and against Niagara, and uh, well. I think, is this a redemption tour, Noah? Because when we look at their schedule again, it's Niagara again at Baxter Arena. No question they need a different result there because then they welcome Ohio State. They've got six, seven, eight straight at home to start off the year, minus the exhibition, which will be in Mankato this year. So again, Niagara, Ohio State, Western Michigan, and then in between an NCHC break, they have Long Island coming into play at Baxter Arena. So an early start here will be key for Omaha to try to get themselves in a much better position, uh, not only for the pairwise, but just feeling good about where they're at, right? Yeah, I, I can't tell you how angry it makes me that that Mankato game is an exhibition contest. I'm just going to put that out there right now because, <laughs> I mean, that's just one of those games that it just feels like it should should just be on the table. You know, and right. this is not speaking from last year and the finish there. It just it, it feels like a matchup, CCHA, NCHC, fantastic litmus test early in the season. I mean, it's great hockey, but like, man, exhibition game, take that away. No, get, I, I, I don't care what the NCAA rules are. Just... <laughs> Slip it in there and boom. Okay. So, um, but nonetheless, speaking speaking of shapes and things that never mind euphemisms not, notwithstanding, but October 7th is that game uh, against Mankato the following weekend, Niagara, like you mentioned. Uh, and then Ohio State. Um, that will be a great litmus test, by the way. Of course, uh, you have um, you know, a former Ohio State player coming into the mix as well, too, for this Mavs squad. So curious to see him play against his old program. That's the tail end of October. Then Western Michigan and LIU, a six-game, um, in fact, wait, eight-game homestand, mm-hmm. Nick. 
by yep. the way. Uh, then they played Denver uh, holiday weekend, a home and home against Augustana, which is a cool phrase to say, if I do say so myself. Nebraska night number one, Sioux Falls on the 25th on that Saturday, um, on the road against Duluth. And then they do see St. Cloud at home to cap off the first half of the regular season. So the Huskies get them right before the holiday break. Um, I kind of stole your thunder here going through the the list here, Nick, but kind of did but that's normal so yeah well and that's why i'm here that's why i get paid the zero dollars right um yeah. <laughs> you and me both um, yeah but, but honestly this will be, be awesome i think i know uh it, but how important is it for that first half right because i know we talked about non-conference in that first half and then the second half actually starts off kind of night uh, kind of neat uh we'll touch on that here in a second but it isn't actually it isn't a cakewalk per se but there's opportunity here for if you play well you could at least be feeling good about where you're at and more importantly you know as you you know turn the calendar into 2024 you maybe could have some momentum uh on your side as you head into the second half which uh it's going to be a tough second half i'll put it that way yeah like we said ohio state and western michigan too in that first half back to back so that's going to be a tough one you'd like to be at least 500 in that grouping gotta take care of niagara i would think i mean you just can't have what happened last year, or at least nope. you got to, you got to split at minimum. I would say yeah. yep. LIU, you got to take care of um, Denver's going to be a good team again this season. Augustan is a wild card. I, I mean, you'd like to be at least 500 there. I mean, you don't really know. And that's in the middle of November. So they're going to have some games under their belt at that time. Uh, Duluth, have a chance to sweep, I think, if you're a Mavericks fan and everything goes to plan. And the Huskies, well, no chance, right? I mean, come on, the Huskies take both of those. No, of that, that'll be a great matchup. You know what? Actually, um, St. Cloud, historically, I, I would say in recent years, has really struggled against Omaha, to be honest with you, especially in Baxter. They have not found a way to solve uh, the Mavs there and at home, even at the Herbrooks National Hockey Center. It's been some tightly contested games, too. So first half, Nick. A lot of opportunity, a bit of a staggered schedule between NCHC and non-conference play. Good chance for these freshmen and these transfers to assimilate. Yeah, Noah, so let's look at that second half of the season because uh, let's just say it starts off kind of fun. Uh, first ever uh, Desert Classic, right? They're going to be traveling down yeah. to a future NCHC opponent in Tempe, Arizona into Arizona State, although the uh, exact opponents aren't listed, but that's kind of fun, right? You get to get out of... Um, uh, shall we say the Midwest and uh, head down to uh, Arizona where it'll be a bit warmer uh, this time of year again the first weekend of January but then the fun begins because then you've got to travel all the way back the other side of the country and your first big test out of the holiday break is at North Dakota right so and it doesn't get any easier and in fact um, Noah this second half of the schedule I'll let you kind of walk through this but this is this is a tough second half uh, Colorado College tail end of february the tigers I believe it's the only time yes that they see the tigers this season um and then the only time they see miami right after that actually a couple of tail end single game sets for these teams and then finishing at home against north dakota which they uh did last season playing north dakota and uh yeah things got a little bit dicey so yeah north dakota actually at ralph Ingolstead might be a bit of a better matchup for these mavs coming out of the holiday break because they've done well they've done well historically but this second half not a favorable schedule north dakota denver st cloud duluth western cc miami and who knows what we're going to get out of that miami squad this year and then north dakota to finish things out and if they finish anywhere close they're 
going to get any of these teams in this mix when it comes to the NCHC quarterfinals. So, yeah, and I think Noah, when we when we look at this Omaha squad uh, again, as we said it at the top, I really do feel like that non-conference uh, record's going to be huge for them. Uh, again, first half to second half, it's night and day in terms of the difficulty of the schedule. Uh, I think really for for Omaha, we're probably going to know before the holiday break where this team is going to be. Um, and then give it a couple of weeks after they get back from Arizona to see if they can carry that, hopefully some momentum for them into the second half of the year, because again, it's tough, but uh, Noah, again, we have these guys at third um, question is where do we feel like they will sit? I mean, yeah, it's, it's are And what I mean by that is yes, we have met three now, Last time I checked, we we're, we don't pretend, nor do we have a crystal ball for these sorts of things. But I do kind of wonder, are they a, like in a similar position to North Dakota, which is, you know, are they sort of a wild card when it comes to, you know, where they might finish in terms of, you know, and, and you know, we hate to be that group of people that says it, but you kind of wonder, and maybe some hockey fans are looking at this in the NCHC, did we have them too high in our preseason poll? It's hard to say, but tell me, what do you think? Well, I think we uh, undersold and over-delivered last year, and maybe we over-delivered and maybe should have undersold this year. Um, not sure. I think, again, if I had to group it, I would say 765 are probably in the same mix from what we've had. And I say uh, Omaha and Western Michigan are probably in their own mix right now. Um, so, again, I, I feel like, you know, their third, fourth, maybe, maybe even fifth. I mean, three to five is maybe a relative landing point for them, just depending on how they handle things in conference, at least now non-conference, obviously, if they want to make an NCAA push, they've got to do much better, like you said, as opposed to what they did last season. Um, but I, yeah, I mean, again, we've kind of talked about the Mavs and when they're hot, they're hot. When you're not, you're not, right? I mean, there's there's the old song about that, obviously, that came out well before my time. But I mean, it's, or my time too, which is not very often. So, yeah, I, I, they what did they have? Stone record players back then? I mean, that's something else. Nope, you, I know. <laughs> you, you to, yeah, it, even even the photos of the events were in color back then. Um, I, I when you can paint them. Yeah, it's nice. <laughs> Yeah, we figured out colors, and then the Polaroid came along, and everything changed. That was a game changer, buddy. Oh, yeah, well, let me let me tell you. <laughs> well, looking at the VHS tapes and listening to this uh, podcast on the Walkman here, I can tell you that this Mavs team does have a chance to. I I, I don't know that I would put them higher than three in the conference. We have them at three because I still think that their mix is good enough, and their style of play is good enough to really be a weekend in, week out for mid formidable force because of the physicality and the gauntlet of the NCHC. Their style of play fits well for the grueling schedule for the NCHC. Now, when we come to tournament time, playoff time, things definitely change for this group here. I don't think they get higher than three, which it's rare that we pick a team at three and say that they're not going to go up. I don't, I just don't see them going past that. Um, maybe it's because we have a certain team in the top two that we have an affiliation with too. Who's to say, but um Oops. I, yeah, I, again, I, I think this Mavs team still has a good opportunity with this mix to bring that physicality. They just need some offensive supplementation. That's just what they need. Um, and they got to get at least average to above average goaltending if they want a chance. 
their defensive structure, what their defensemen bring has been pretty consistent, very blue collar, very 200 foot style of play. If they could get an offensive defenseman out of that mix, that would be really nice too. Um, but they are, they're forwards and they're high end guys. Someone, a duo, a trio on the forward side has to break through this season. They have to kind of carry the mail. They have to be a threatening force. If anything, to create a little bit of secondary scoring under the radar down the line. I think if Omaha can do that, they're going to be just fine. You know, if you're listening to this podcast on your Walkman, I remember mine, it had shock protection. What isn't shocking, <laughs> ha, 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 I know, I'm terrible today. Um, but honestly, you know, it isn't really that surprising that we have them this high, right? I, I do think there may be... Um, again, I, I still think that first half is going to be very telling for for us. And, you know, yeah. is there a potential for them to slide? I think there might be. I just don't expect them to, right? And again, they're, they're a team that, you know, with their balance and whatnot, you know, they're a team that's just going to have to win by committee. Uh, and they've done that since, you know, essentially for a while, right? Even while under Mike Gavin, even before them, they've had to essentially utilize uh, it's essentially everybody to try to contribute and then uh, make a push towards, uh, you know, that ultimate goal is winning a national championship. Uh, Noah, of course, you know, as you mentioned in affiliation, right, this is the Huskies Warming Hills podcast. And we always ask the question with every preview, how does the St. Cloud State Huskies uh, match up against Omaha? And more importantly, how did they come away with W's in their matchups coming up this year? There's four times that these two teams will be facing off against each other. Yeah, absolutely. And affiliations, by the way, centerisu.com, Huskies Illustrated will have those four matchups and everything covering that. You're home for all things St. Cloud Hockey, including the latest news and photos of your Huskies as they battle the Mavericks. And of course, the Soda Pod, our partner, staying wild and up to date with us in the state of hockey, especially when they come visit the Herbrooks National Hockey Center. Huskies Warming House podcast, very thankful for that. And this Omaha matchup is always a good one. It's been a tough test for St. Cloud because, uh, again, that blue-collar workman style, this may be coupled with Western Michigan, one of the few teams that might out-physical St. Cloud somewhat heavily. And you have yep. to be able to match that pound for pound. If they're able to limit the neutral zone, meaning the Omaha Mavericks, and able to stymie the speed and skill and offensive rush and transitional play that St. Cloud brings to the table – the Mavs are going to give St. Cloud a tough test. I could easily see this series being 500 in either direction. I could see an overtime finish or two. That's highly possible between these two clubs. Goaltending going to be a big factor. I might give that edge right now to St. Cloud just with the veteran experience. And I think as far as the defensive core and the raw talent on the forward side for the high-end talent, that probably goes to St. Cloud. As far as the complete spread of players, the workman-type mentality, the effort level and the ability to grind below the dots, below the top of the circles, the edge definitely goes to Omaha. So if you're a defenseman for St. Cloud, pucks are getting shipped in deep. You got to be able to pivot, get on your high horse. First pass has to be there. If it's not there, hit an outlet, puck off the glass. You have to alleviate pressure in the defensive zone. When Omaha starts to buzz, when they start to get a cycle going, start to get that four check going, suddenly they get a line change or two in there in the offensive cycle. Bad things happen for the defensive teams here. Now, you got to keep Omaha out of the middle. That's the name of the game. If you've watched yep. a hockey game before, at some point, the puck's got to come through the middle of the ice. I think St. Cloud would be okay, even with that pressure, if they can keep things out of the house. But if things start to break down and Omaha finds a bit of that grit, which is what we're waiting to see, if they can bring that extra element again this year, get some scoring touch to the middle of the ice, this is going to be a, a, a dog fight, cattle fight. Is, is, there a, is there a dog cattle reference, something on the ranch? reference uh, that i can pull out of this I, i'm struggling no. mightily i tell no. you what you know what the mavs also need by the way they need to bring back what is it the old the old 
bullhead logo, by the way, that they have yeah. on the jersey. Oh, those beautiful, beautiful. I mean, I know some of their jerseys are clean in the UNO, and I, I even like their the little O logo that they have. Their website is great, by the way, too. That they do a fantastic job with that. Another team that really does a great job with their website production, by the way, too. Um, but yeah. They have so many options for some great retro jerseys, some really cool stuff. I know they've dipped, to, dipped into it in years past. Just a heads up, Mavs fans, gray is not the play. It, black or white as far as, yeah, black for sure. I mean, maybe even a bit of red. Maybe throw something interesting in there as well, too. Some reverse retro fun. I, I have no idea. Alternate, you know, as a... Yeah. As a- black um you know as like an offset that'd be that would actually would look really nice yeah one of the only other teams in the w or in the wcha wow um in the nchc that pulls out that red color palette yeah absolutely when we're talking old wcha omaha was not in that mix um (laughs) (laughs) so um or st cloud might be wearing their reds for a change as well too because i love st cloud's reds as well but that's my only recommendation if the huskies are wearing whatever color that these two teams seem to really share um in your opinion nick same question. How do these Huskies limit the offense and create some of their own? I really do think it starts with, you know, shutting down their forecheck. And as you mentioned, it's going to get on your horse. But, you know, this team, you know, it, when they've been successful and disrupted that first defenseman touch, right? Uh, a lot of it is because the defensemen are going and they're not peeking over their shoulder. They're not looking at what their options are because Omaha's coming at you fast. And they've got uh, essentially one goal of mine. They're going to either hit you or they're going to hit you after you get rid of the puck, right? They come down and they really want to squeeze you behind your own net and essentially try to essentially force a bad play, force a bad decision. And St. Cloud in years past has not thought, shall we say, that step or two ahead like you see some other uh yeah, you know, some other teams have done that. So this is where guys like Dylan Anhorn, this is where guys yes. like Jack Peart, right, could really help the Huskies essentially turn a strength for Omaha into almost like turn it on, you know, on its head a little bit, right? And also for the forwards, right, being aware that, you know, Omaha's going to come at you a little bit and to know that you're going to have to be in those spots where you have to, you know, give your defenseman an opening, be in a lane and be ready for it because sometimes, you know, they're not going to be able to cradle a puck. Sometimes it's going to be a hard rim. Sometimes it's going to be off the glass. So you do have to be able to read the play, coming it back on your own end and being in the right spot so that way you can transition. And that's how you can create some odd man opportunities against Omaha too. And then similarly, that's where the cycle game and the Huskies can come into play. They're not the most, you know, physical team. And I would argue again, like you mentioned, that bottom six for Huskies, that that's going to be established the biggest test because Omaha definitely has the Huskies beat in that retrospect is that yes. depth um, in, in terms of, you know, just the physicality and just the way they play. But if you can wear them down by just possessing the puck and again, not necessarily being selective, but I think offense from defensemen, right? Get pucks through. Omaha likes to block shots to remember. So they will lay down. So guys like Dylan Anhorn, again, that can be mobile. Uh, you talk about guys like VD Miatin that do have rocket shots, right? And then you talked about Dave Shyak. Again, those forwards coming around the net. If you can't break through um, while the puck is on your stick, you know, do a flyby when the puck is released. You got to crash that crease, look for those rebounds and get into the kitchen, as they say. I think that's how you have to do it. Um, but it all starts from the back end. And no question, Bart Larson has, uh, you know, that always been a matchup that, you know, he, he really wants to try to essentially be better at transition game, especially from behind his net and then more so avoiding yeah. getting trapped uh, with the physical play. 
So here's the deal, Nick. We are less than two weeks away now from women's hockey action on the St. Cloud side. Less than four weeks, less than a month away on the men's side from hockey getting rocking and rolling, especially for the Mavs as well, too. By the way, next week we are at number one in the WCHA with the Ohio State Buckeyes. And then the week after we do have Denver, the question is, do we have them at number two or do we have them at number one? Hmm. 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 Answers to come, of course, and then we will cover both our St. Cloud teams as we get recaps and games underway. Excited for hockey season to get rolling once again. I'm Noah Grant. That was Nick Maxson, and we will see you soon in the den. One-timer coming, they score! She scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies alongside. Dwayne Kaprizov in for a chance to win it. He scores! Kirill the thrill is for real! Welcome to the NHL, a game winner. St. Cloud Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title.